Thank you, ladies, for indulging me and, and doing that song. It's, I guess, kind of been a, a hidden theme in my heart uh, through all these years as I look out and, and see the reality of, of that song. And uh, it's a blessing. First Peter chapter 5. This morning, I simply, I simply do not have the words to explain how I, how I feel at this point. If you put my back to the wall and said you, you've, you've got to come up with a word. It would probably be the word overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the goodness and the grace that you have shown Katie and I today. The thoughtfulness and the intentionality that our, that our staff has approached this day with is unparalleled. Overwhelmed by the presence of so many friends and, and family. Um, I look out and see Brother Love and Brother Locke, and men that have, men that, that just have been there for our family through thick and thin, ups and downs mountaintops and valleys. And uh, I hope you guys know how special you are. Yet at the same time, overwhelmed by the absence of somebody who would have loved to have been here he was so proud of the man of God that his brother had become. Picture was taken several years ago when Tyler was asked to preach at a large, large men's event. And he preached with with two premier preachers among Independent Baptists and just preached with an anointing that made those guys step back and go, why, why are we even here? And his brother was there. But I gotta tell you today, if TJ was here, he would be dogging his brother to no end <laughs> for kicking dad out of the big office. <laughs> now I'm serious, it'd go something like this, why does dad have to leave the office? He'd been in that office for 20 years. What's your problem? What, what's wrong with your office? Why can't you just stay in your office? Why does dad have to leave the office? Why do you have to have that office? Quit being a jerk. That conversation would go something like that, would it not? <laughs> oh, he would be dogging him to no end. Overwhelmed. At times this week by memories that have 
flooded my mind. Overwhelmed by the joy that I am about to hand this pulpit over to the man that I'm absolutely convinced was born for this purpose. And overwhelmed honestly at the finality of it all. Brother Jerry's been there. Even though I have known that this day was coming for more than, than two years, the fact that it is here is just so surreal. I have no doubt but that what we're doing today is right. But the reality, if I can just be transparent with you, the reality that in just a few minutes, I'm no longer going to be a pastor is, well, overwhelming. When I assumed the pastorate here 20 years, two months, and 26 days ago, it's hard to believe in it, honey. 20 years, two months, 26 days ago, I became the seventh man to do so since 1955. Till Brother Landis can, I'm so glad Mrs. Landis could be here to celebrate this weekend with us. And everything that her husband was to me, she was to my wife. I'm thankful for that. But up until Brother Landis came, the average stay of a pastor here was, was really pretty much the average nationwide. It was 3.8 years. But I'm thankful that my pastor set a new example and proved that there is something to be said about longevity. I recently uh, read a story about a pastor who was about to assume the pastorate of a church. And the outgoing pastor said to him, at some point in time, you're going to make a mistake. So I have prepared three envelopes. And I have put them in the center desk drawer. And when you make your first mistake, you open envelope number one. And when you make your second mistake, you open up envelope number two. And when you make your third mistake, you open up envelope number three. Well, I mean, the guy really didn't think much of it, okay, whatever, until he made his first mistake. And he remembered those envelopes. And so he went to the desk, he opened the drawer, and sure enough, there was an envelope there marked number one. And he opened it up, and it simply said, blame me. So he did. He went to the pulpit the next Sunday and said, listen, this is not my fault. This is the fault of the guy before me. It's his fault. The church bought into that and they were good with it. Time went on and 
He made another mistake. So he went back to the desk and he opened the drawer and he pulled out envelope number two and opened it up and it said, blame the deacons. And so he did. Stood in his pulpit and said, listen, these aren't my guys. These are his guys and they're a mess. I can't get anything done with these guys. It's their fault. Church bought into that. All right, not not a problem. We forgive. Time went on and he made his third mistake. So he went back to the desk drawer Picked up envelope number three and and opened it up. And it simply said, prepare three envelopes. (laughs) So son, (laughs) as pastors, we spend much of our time preaching about God's expectations of his people as church members. And it seems that the rest of our time is spent lamenting the fact that they don't seem to measure up. But with the Lord's help in this final time that I'll stand here in this capacity, I want to turn the spotlight away from the members and onto the pastor. In a message that the Lord has given me and I've entitled, The Kind of Pastor You Deserve. All of my years in, in ministry here, I've never, I've never known anyone who I felt had expectations of me being a perfect pastor. But I have had some who I felt expected me to be better. And I've always been okay with that. Because in my heart, I've wanted to be the best pastor that I could be. I'm not sure I've always been the pastor you deserved. I want us to read the first four verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, and then we'll get into the message. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. As I understand it, the words elder and bishop and pastor are all used interchangeably in the epistles, and they all refer to the same office, yet they all refer to different aspects of that same office. For example, the the, the title elder indicates the spiritual maturity that ought to accompany the office of a pastor. 
The term bishop speaks of spiritual responsibility. The word means overseer. It is the pastor's responsibility to oversee the ministry. Ultimately, he is responsible for what goes on. Then there's the term that we're most familiar with, which would be pastor. Pastor speaks of the spiritual ministry that a man holding the office is to perform as the under-shepherd. I think the gist of this first part of chapter 5, as we, we view it in the context of the overall theme of 1 Peter, is this, hard times demand that God's people have adequate spiritual leadership. And in nearly 40 years of full-time ministry, I would dare say that, that this time that we're living in with everything that's going on in our nation is without precedent as far as hard times is concerned. Yesterday at lunch we were sitting together and, and I just asked Brother Locke, in, in, in your years of ministry, have you ever seen anything like we're experiencing now in, in, in our nation, in, in, the, in the church world? And the, the nearest thing he could come to was 9-11, but he said that was like, it was here and then it was gone. So I, in, in all the years of his ministry, he said he's never seen anything like this virus thing and this pandemic thing and I'm telling you right now, God's churches need adequate spiritual leadership. The need for that has never been greater. So as I see it, the first expectation of an adequate spiritual leader, a pastor if you will, is someone who walks with the Son of God. It's interesting to read 1 Peter in light of Peter's personal experiences with Christ, the glory that shall be revealed, spoken of in verse 1, reminds us of Peter's experience with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. The emphasis in 1 Peter 2 brings to mind the Lord's challenge to Peter in John chapter 21 to feed his sheep. The warning in verse 3 about lording it over the saints reminds us of Christ's lesson about true greatness in Luke 22, as well as the other times that he taught his disciples about humility and service. The phrase, be clothed with humility, in verse 5 takes us back to the upper room where, where Jesus put on the towel and washed the disciples' feet. And the warning about the devil in, in verse 8 parallels Christ's warning to Peter about Satan's desire to have him and, and sift him like wheat. And we know that Peter did not heed that warning. And he ended up denying the Lord three times. But here's my point. Peter wrote the words of our text out of his own personal growing relationship with Christ, which made it possible for him to minister effectively to God's people. 
That's why the people of this church have every right to expect their pastor to be a man who walks with God and who is growing in his own spiritual life. That's why Paul issued the challenge to young Timothy and said, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. The word profiting there referring to spiritual advancement or spiritual growth. A church ought to be able to sense that their pastor is constantly moving into new territories of study and new territories of achievement and new territories of ministry. Because let's face it, if the pastor is not moving forward, neither is the church. This is why, as I've explained numerous times in the past, It's good for the pastor and for the ministry staff to get away from time to time to various various preachers meetings and, and conferences so they can be challenged by other preachers and be revived with with respect to their own walk with God. Because believe it or not, sometimes preachers need that. And church, don't ever, don't ever look at the resources it takes to send your pastor and staff to those kinds of meetings as an expense. It's not. It's an investment. And you'll be the better for it. So first of all, God's people ought to have the expectation that their pastor is a man who is walking with the Son of God. Secondly, a church should expect their pastor to be a man who feeds the flock of God. I've read this before, but I believe it's fitting here and worthy of being read again. It's from an article titled, Where Have All the Preachers Gone? And it asks the question to begin with, is it just me or does there seem to be a growing shortage of preachers? It went on to say this, I don't mean just a warm body to stand up front but a real life, honest to God preacher. Someone with fire in their bones instead of a Lexus in the garage. A man of heaven sent to earth with a mission, not just a a man of earth who occasionally speaks of heaven, but has lost sight of it long ago. A midwife whose clothes are consistently stained with the blood of new birth. Instead of a coach who stalks the sidelines, barking out ploys and plays that will help him move on to a bigger and better church. A man who is drenched with the spirit and fire. Instead of a politician who speaks manners and moderation, where have all the preachers gone? I believe that's a fair question in 2020. It seems on so many fronts that, that preaching has, has been reduced to a lighthearted, informal, 20-minute monologue that is supposed to win this generation. To some, it seems that, that church should no longer be a place where the Holy Spirit re, reproves the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But rather now it's supposed to be about how God wants you to feel better about yourself. 
He wants you to, to elevate your self-esteem and, and boost your self-esteem so you will quit thinking so negatively. I concur with one modern commentator of our day when he says what passes for preaching in some churches today is literally no more profound than what preachers in our father's generation were teaching in the five-minute children's sermon they gave before dismissing the kids. I was blessed to inherit a church that wanted preaching. The harder, the better. The straighter, the better. And I'm just as blessed to be able to hand over a church that still, still wants preaching. We love the music, but give us the word. Before a pastor is to be an administrator or a counselor or an author or anything else, he is to be a provider of good spiritual food for the flock. W.E. Vines in his expository dictionary of New Testament words writes this, In the spiritual care of God's children, the feeding of the flock from the word of God is the constant and regular necessity. It is to have the foremost place. The tending, which includes this, consists of other acts of discipline, authority, restoration, material assistance of individuals, but they are incidental in comparison with the feeding. Fellowship Baptist Church deserves a pastor who is going to feed the flock of God. The third expectation a church member should rightly have of their pastor is that he is a man who leads the church of God. Peter is clear when he says, taking the oversight thereof. Overseeing has to do with leading and leading has to do with making decisions. Someone has got to be the ultimate decision maker in the church. And in God's plan, that's the pastor. God has designed his church so that the pastor has the responsibility of oversight. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't receive input from, from others. Listen, I would have been an absolute fool to try and lead Fellowship Baptist Church without the input of those around me. But it does mean that at the end of the day, the decision is his to make. And he's also responsible for that decision. Note that the pastor is not to lord it over God's people. The word there means to exercise dominion over, to control, to subjugate. Pastoral leadership is not being a dictator in any form or fashion. Let me share some differences with you between leaders and dictators. A leader shows the church what to do by example. A dictator tells the church what to do. 
A leader depends on humility, prayer, and love. A dictator depends on pressure, force, and fear. A true leader goes before and encourages. A dictator stands behind and drives. A leader leads by serving. A dictator expects others to serve him. A leader rejoices when God gets the glory and others get the credit. A dictator takes both the credit and the glory for himself. A leader builds people. A dictator uses people and then drops them when he's through exploiting them. According to Warren Wearsby, one test of leadership is this. What kind of people does one's ministry attract? Usually the dictator attracts small people who desperately need the security and popularity of a great man and who must lose their own identities as they inflate the ego of their hero. A true leader attracts people who believes in his cause and who are willing to work with him to extend it. They do not lose their identities in the leader. Rather, they grow under his leadership. A dictator manufactures cookie-cutter followers who imitate him. A leader grows other leaders who themselves mature under his guidance. Fellowship Baptist Church deserves a willing leader, not an overbearing dictator. And finally, let me say that according to our text, you deserve a pastor who lives the Word of God. Look with me again in our text. Look at verse 3. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples or examples to the flock. Simply stated, you deserve a pastor who practices what he preaches. So as I wrap this up, look with me again at verse number four, where Peter mentions the crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye speaking of those who fulfill uh, these, these requirements, these, meet these guidelines, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. As the chief shepherd, Jesus is the ultimate judge of every man's ministry. And may it be said that when he appears, he will find as the pastor of this church a godly man. A man who could not be bought or sold. A man who in his inmost soul is true and honest. A man who does not fear to call sin by its name. A man whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle is to the pole. 
a man who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. I'm blessed today. Extremely blessed today. To be able to hand this pulpit to a man who I believe is everything you deserve. He walks with God. I know for a fact that he is devoted to a daily personal time with the Lord. He is constantly, if you just have to be around him to know this, our staff knows this, he is constantly moving into new territories of study and new territories of achievement and ministry. Already, church, you know this, already in his limited preaching role, he has proven to be a man who feeds the flock of God. His approach to preaching is really, really pretty simple. Next chapter, next verse. He says that that's a, when you preach that way, you can't, you can't sidestep the hard issues. And, and he's exactly right. And even in his limited role, he has addressed some, some hard issues. Some controversial issues that in our culture today, other preachers would not dare tread upon. But because we know he's going to the very next verse, we have, we have the, the advantage of saying, hey, you missed one. And no doubt some of the good people in this church will do that. <laughs> and they'll know when you preached that message last time too. Because it's written in the margin of their Bible. I wish you'd get an iPad or something. <laughs> Over the course of the last two years, as I have purposely and intentionally afforded Pastor Tyler more opportunities to lead, he has proven himself to be more than capable of leading the church of God. And without doubt, without doubt, he lives the word of God. He's the kind of pastor you deserve. And he's the kind of pastor that you're going to get today. So I'm going to ask Pastor Tyler and Jenny, if you would, to make your way to the platform. Katie, why don't you come on up? She's got a couple of things that she wants to present to Jenny Lee.
get your get your microphone. Hang on here. It's our turn now. You got me? Okay. My sweet Jenny Lee, I've I've seen you grow so much from the first time I met you. When I knew before my son knew that you were it for him. And I I prayed and I just knew you talked to your mom at one time and said, "What do you think?" And she went, "Oh, I said, I've already prayed about it. That's girls, my girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I am so thankful that you came into our home, our heart, and our ministry. And if there is one thing I can tell you that has helped me throughout all these years, more than anything else, that I could give to you that would mean anything, would be prayer. There are going to be, you're going to enter a journey now where God is going to expand your heart with the best people in the world. He is now going to, you think you love them now, but you will love them more than you ever thought you could. And you, your heart will connect with them. You will celebrate with them when they're in their, at their highest mountains and your heart will break with them as you're sitting with them at their lowest times. There will be times, although I could list my blessings far more than I could list my hard times, but there will be times when you won't feel enough And I'm going to tell you two words that have helped me. Just pray. There will be times when you feel overwhelmed. Just pray. There will be times when you may feel a little lonely. Just pray. And there will be times when you look at the, the bigness of what God has given you to do. Just pray. And you know, the Bi- I think that's why the Bible says pray without ceasing. And that's one thing in ministry that I've done. I have prayed. And I know that's going to help you in this journey that you are going to knock out of the park. Amen. You are going to be amazing. And I'm looking forward to serving with you. So... I got you this, and it says on it, just pray. And here's something else. Tyler, you and I have watched a lot of, uh, a number of pastoral transitions. Um, we've seen, we've seen a lot of different things and it's like every time we, we saw something, it was like, nah, that's just, that's just not us. We're not a, not a pass the shepherd staff kind of guy. We're not a, 
kind of lay the mantle over the shoulder kind of guy. Um, we're not a, you know, hand him a, a baton or a, a makeshift torch. I mean, we, we didn't fault anybody. That's just not us. It's just, that's just not our thing. And so I thought, well, I can't just do nothing. And um, now everybody thinks I'm building them up for a joke here. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I thought, well, what, what can I present him that won't just be a token, but something that will mean something to him for a long time? One morning I was in the office and I was having my devotions and it's like God said, won't you just give him the two things that have meant the most to you in 20 years of pastoring? And so the first one is the Bible that I've preached out of for almost all of these 20 years. I was looking through it this week, and there's some, there's some killer outlines in here, dude. <laughs> but I looked through here this week and was reminded, it's, it's crazy, and these preachers can, can relate to this, I mean, it's crazy. You just remember what God did in certain sermons. I was looking over my outline that I preached years ago on a Sunday night about getting in the ark. I remember, that's the night Mike Dominguez got sick. I uh, was looking at some things in John... And remember, that's about the time Marlon came to know the Lord. I looked at a friend day message I preached several years ago. Remember, that's when Allison Clark got saved. I say, I say that, son, to say this. God's word still changes life. I just want you to preach it. When there's ever a temptation or ever, well, I don't know if I'm making a difference. Maybe, maybe you can just look over at Dad's Bible. Say it makes a difference. And then the other thing that is most cherished to me is my prayer list. I've had this for 20 years, this same list. It's just worn out. Corners are missing, stained. It's taped together the best I could. This has flown with me, it's traveled with me, it's, it's, it's been with me everywhere, every day. And son, I just want you to know that the names on these pieces of paper 
are the names of some of the best people God has ever put on the earth. And there's so many stories in these pieces of paper. So many prayers for wayward children. Prayers for spouses who've lost their spouse, moms and dads who've lost children. A lot of celebration on these pages. A lot of names written in here that that God has saved and added to the church family here over the years. Sadly, some have been crossed off for various reasons. I know you have your own prayer list. I've seen it. I'm not expecting you to use this one. But just keep it handy, would you? Just cherish it as much as I can. These people in the world to me. They're about to become your people. And you love them. And you pray over them. And God will bless that. So it's with a lot of joy that I give you the two things that have meant the most to me in 20 years of pastoring. Here we go. And with that, I present to you your new pastor and first lady, Tyler and Jenny Lee Prater.